Hey guys, the team filled in for me this week. I'm in Korea. I wish I was in North Korea checking things out and maybe straightening that place out, but actually I'm in South Korea. I'm climbing the stairs right now. The team filled in for me and they interviewed Doug Lewis. Doug Lewis is awesome. TV commentator, World Cup skier. Guy's an absolute animal. Actually, he showed up at one of our first races ever. You know, something about skiing and grit and resilience is correlated. And I think it's because 99% of the folks that ski lose. Think about it. There's only one winner in a ski race. My point is, this interview is going to be awesome. Enjoy it. I'll be back next week. See you soon. Today we're going to be talking about um, Doug Lewis. Olympic uh, downhill skier. Doug is a great uh, Olympian, uh, represent America, a uh, great person, and uh, he actually has a real history in Pittsburgh USA. that we'll get into later as well. But uh, Let's listen USA. to his story. <laughs> USA. <laughs> Here we are at uh, Amy Lodge in Pittsfield, Vermont. I'm here with Doug Lewis. Uh, Doug, you're no stranger to this area. So let's jump back. I mean, clearly your parents knew what they were doing because you went a long way. You ended up on the World Cup uh, representing America on the world stage. I'd love yeah. to hear a bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I had that bug that I love skiing, love being on the mountain, and I was a competitive crazy freak. Yeah. Uh, and so then I, I had it in my mind, and I was lucky enough to go to the Green Mountain Valley School, which is a ski academy here in Vermont. And they introduced me to goal setting um, and hard work I knew from my family, uh, but they pushed my limits. And it's interesting. So this is going back 40 years. I raced my first World Cup at age 17, was in the Olympics at age 20, which is very young, yeah. and won a bronze medal uh, at age 21 at the World Championships. So everything came very early for me certainly wasn't easy yeah. uh, and it wasn't early enough but looking back I was like wow I was a world championship medalist at age 21 crazy and to, and to just go back I talk about that first world cup at age 17 it was in Aspen I weighed 135 pounds physically I was nowhere ready to be a world cup skier but mentally I was there I was and I was skiing well technically so I uh, was running third to last I went out, nobody was watching, I don't even think the TV cameras were on anymore, and uh, I went off uh, this jump, <clears throat> there was a little uh, fresh snow on the side, I caught an edge, which happens at 70 miles an hour, yeah. often, but it's not a good thing. Uh, I did the splits, I hit my head first, luckily it knocked me out, and then I tumbled into a chairlift tower at 60 miles an hour and broke my back, and... Uh, broke T11, 12, L1, and 2, right in the middle. And when was this? This is 1981, 17 years old, first World Cup. Wow. And uh, it's funny, this is what goes through your mind as a 17-year-old. Um, they took me down to the hospital. They figured out that I had uh, fractured my vertebrae, four of them. And they're like, you're not skiing for a while. This is me lying. And, and I was like, okay, there's a race tomorrow. I probably can't do that one. There's a race next week. Yeah, what's week. a while? Because <laughs> <laughs> next week, I probably could be back for that. And the guy goes, no, you're not going to ski for six months. Instantly tears. Like, it wasn't the physical part. It was that I couldn't race yeah. for six months. And so that's what was going on in my brain. It had nothing to do with preserving my body. It was why couldn't I race. And so um, I look back at that uh, injury Smarten me up. The next time I raced, I gained 30 pounds. Yep. Uh, f smarten me up physically. Mentally, I knew that I couldn't go 110% every single run. Mm -hmm. I had to save something for that race. And so, um, knock on wood, kind of lucky that I had that injury. Nothing was permanent, but uh, it was a, not a great beginning. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and that, you know, again, when you think about success, people always want to talk about, you know, what, what did you do to succeed? And here you're talking about, you know, a failure along the way. And how, and do you feel that people's failures are as important as their successes in, in the bigger picture? Oh, for sure. Especially in ski racing. Ski racing is the toughest sport. It's freezing. You've got to train in rain. You've got to train in snow. You've got to train in wind. Um, in a ski race, it's not a team sport. There's only one winner. So if you think about it, 99% of the people that race are losers, yep. uh, quote-unquote losers. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it can be really tough. And, so, and then you throw an injury, yep. which can happen and will happen if you're a ski racer. Um, and it is a tough one. And so failure is a constant, and how you react to that is so important. Um, and that's just a life lesson that you take from ski racing. But boy, ski racing teaches you how to be tough. So when, when you take that, and like you say, ski racing has taught you lessons. And now you're no longer a competitive racer, at least uh, not at that level right. that you used to be. So what have you parlayed those lessons into? Well, uh, so I retired at 24. Retired. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not financially, but <laughs> retired. And so that was a big one. And people often uh, equate retirement from the world-class level of sports as um, uh, dying. As yeah. mo- you have a mourning process. Yeah. I've, heard the, I've heard the term the quarter-life crisis, you know, the athlete who, are you ever going to get there again, right? Yeah. I mean, that person that I knew is gone, you think. And um, luckily my parents, talking about my parents, growing, uh, instilled a lot of education. So I went and got my college degree right away. And so I put skiing away for a while. I needed to take a break. And it's funny, so here I am as a 25-year-old freshman, had my backpack on like a total geek, both sides, running to class. And here are these 19-year-olds going, what's the old dude running to class for? Why even at class, you know? And so I went into school the same way as skiing. It's like, I'm going to win, straight A's, you know, I'm doing it. If you're going to do it, do it right. And so I got through that, and at that point, after three years of, of being away, I then got back into skiing at, uh, as a coach. And I said, this is what I want to sh- i got to start sharing my love and what I know now with kids. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned kids, because I, I, my understanding is that now you've got a program that's really very much geared towards kids. Right. So uh, I retired in, in uh, 88, got my, uh, got my college degree, and then... It's funny, you, you work all this time, and you learn everything, and then you retire. You have this full right. brain of knowledge, finally, and it's kind of worthless because you're done skiing. So a friend of mine, Craig Sauerbeer, who was a World Cup skier, came and we talked, and I'm like, let's, let's pass this on. And so we came up with this concept um, of Elite Team, that's the name of the company, where we teach the kids uh, about sports physiology. Out sideways, lunge! Out, out, then you switch. Sorry, Marianne, out. Which is kind of what everybody does, but we go a little deeper. Sports psychology, which is my favorite. If you go to a state championships, you have a goal, you have a focus. I want to get top 10. I'm 5'8", and somehow I'm a bronze medalist, you know? It was all up here. It wasn't this. I mean, I could ski, and I'm physically okay, but it was all up here. So sports psychology and sports nutrition, as we know, is is so critical. So 1991, uh, we started this company uh, to pass on those three concepts to kids. And when we say kids, what age are we talking about? Um, My favorite age. 11 to 14 is what it started, but 8 to 14, these are the kids that listen. These are the kids that are so excited. These are the kids that um, um, will try anything. 
and <clears throat> so you you come you you combine that with that's the perfect age for them to learn agility. That's when your body just learns everything very quickly. You learn to juggle now eight balls, it's going to take you a while. Those kids are just like doing everything. So I found this age that I just loved um, that I could work with. And we've talked before about the importance of parents, and obviously the importance of coaches are huge. I, I had a coach in my life who just made all the difference in the world. Great parents as well, but. Um, what would you say to um, parents or kids who are looking for a coach? Like, what, what are the keys as a coach, as a trainer, to, to help somebody else's kids? That's the million-dollar question, right? And there's a lot of parents looking for good coaches. Um, what I look in when I hire coaching and what I look had when I, when I look at the coaches, the good coaches that I had, um, expertise, for sure. He wants someone who knows what they're doing. But it is that combination where you can read a kid an athlete and figure out where they're at what level and provide the opportunity the safe atmosphere but challenge them in the right way because it's all about pushing that person and that's how you break through that's how you if you're lifting more weight you got to lift more weight than you think and, and you teach your muscles but to find a challenge that's appropriate for the kid, that turns on the kid, that um, doesn't say I can't do it, but boy, if I, maybe I could. Finding that challenge, I think, is the most important thing as a coach. And then you're using that to draw the greatness out of that kid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Because you can go both ways, and this is purely talking about this challenge. You can have a kid do the same thing over and over again, gets pretty good, they'll maybe have some confidence, but they're never gonna improve. Or you can put a challenge that just ruins the kid. You know, it's like you got to be an Olympic skier next week, yeah. and if you're not there, you're a loser. That's way you have to find that right one. And so many coaches coach to the group. You've got to coach each individual kid. It's harder, yeah. it takes more energy, but boy, is it worth it. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. Just in case you're a stranger to anyone on our podcast, let's let's hear your story. Uh, I'm born and raised Vermonter, what they call a woodchuck, and I'm proud of it. Born in Middlebury, Vermont. Um, but if I had to talk about my uh, first 10 years, I grew up on the mountains of Vermont, mostly skiing. So my parents got us skiing uh, every day we could growing up, and I fell in love with skiing. I fell in love with competition, and probably if you ask me, as I stood in my snowmobile suit, brown snowmobile suit, when I was eight, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a World Cup skier. And so it was planted in my brain, and pretty much everything I did from then on was to be a, an Olympic skier. And uh, a lot of people saw you, obviously, as a, as a world-class skier. You'd lost the brown snowmobile suit by then, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> but so what was it in your upbringing that gave you the confidence and the drive to, uh, to dig in and want to do that? Confidence is a big one. Uh, I think I got that from my parents. Um, I think I got that from growing up in Vermont, uh, just not having a, a phone, not having a television, just playing in the backyard and, and pushing limits and, and looking for challenges. As parents, I think a lot of time we try and give our kids confidence by telling them they're wonderful as yeah. opposed to letting them go out and find out where, where their failure points are and how to back, bounce back from that. That's a big one, and, and that's what I try to instill in the kids that I coach. But confidence is key, but it's not... It's, it's not Oh, you did great, Johnny. Confidence comes from failing. Mm -hmm. Confidence comes from 
jumping out of your comfort zone as much as you can. Confidence comes from working hard and and you, you set these goals. You may reach them or you may not, but you reach something. Yep. And that's where that comes, knowing that you can do it and by working hard and all that other stuff. It's not a fake confidence. It's a real uh, earned confidence. So, Doug, um, we've talked about your past, you know, the, the, the skiing. And uh, tell me what you're doing now. Like, uh, you're doing some exciting stuff these days, too. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. So all summer long, I get to work with kids through Elite Team. And then in the winter, I'm, I still love skiing, so i got to be involved with skiing. Um, I'm the Alpine analyst for NBC and have been for about six years. Everything from Olympics to covering everyday World Cup skiing. And they say, you know, once you're, if you're an athlete and you're not fast anymore, well, you talk about it. So I get to talk about skiing, and I love it so much. I get so excited. They're always telling me, calm it down, be more impartial, be more a little stoic as a ski racer, but I just love it. And so... I get to uh, cover the World Cup, Lindsey Vaughn, Axel Svindahl, Lara Goot, Ted Ligeti. I know them all, and uh, it keeps me involved in skiing. So there's uh, you know, the, the high of being uh, the competitive skier and getting to the top of that game, yeah. and now you're at the top of the broadcasting game. And I think people tend to picture a straight line in between. Was it a straight line? It's just all ups, ups, ups all the way? God, I wish it was. <laughs> I wish it was. You, as I tell you, know. I was up here. I was ranked top three in the world as a ski racer, as a downhiller. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And no one cares. Uh, and you're used to that attention. And why, I'm, why, I'm, why aren't I good, as good as everything else as I was as a ski racer? And so it was big. I, I disappeared from skiing, as I said. I, um, um, it, you just have to find yourself again. So I, I, uh, I jumped into school. But then I thought I'd come out of school and I'd be an, uh, a TV guy right away. I, I'm outspoken. I was a, a medalist. How come I'm not in? You're nothing. And so I started at the bottom of television. I had my own cable show. Um, I started a lead team, but it was one camp, 40 kids a year. What else am I going to do? And I struggled. And you then start to find the skills that you didn't know you have. Goal setting hard work, um, not afraid of failure. All these things that took me to skiing, I didn't know I had. And so you rediscover those skills and those talents, and all of a sudden you work and work and work and start again. But it is it is camel's hump. It is up and down and up and down, and now I'm here, and once I get done with ski racing, it'll be a dip, and it's a constant. And that's, that's an interesting point, is the idea that you've realized that there are ebbs and flows. And, and I think a lot of people are just... They're hoping, waiting. They haven't had even that first, you know, big up. But when you've had that first big up and that first big down, what do you think differentiates? Because some people, they hit that down and they stay down, right? That that athlete who's had that success and never gets it again. What what do you think it is that pulls you back and gets you the grit to get back to where you want to be? I think you have to have it in you. I mean, you have to have the um, willingness to start over, to know that you're you're not that guy anymore. You're this person. And this is where you are. You can get back up, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. And maybe people are just tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I am fully energized, probably too energized. And I just love I love setting a goal, working towards that. And whether I get there or not, I've enjoyed the ride. And I think that's what, that's what gets me out of every one of those holes. 
So I want to ask you to extrapolate that out to the viewers because we've got um, we've got we've talked about kids before. Yeah, you know, not that many kids are watching our podcast, though certainly some. Yeah, uh, but you know, for all the adults out there um, who, who they may not have even had that first bite of real big success, right? Yeah. Um, and you said you know that that grit that gets you out of bed and gets you going, the goal setting and whatnot. If you had a couple of lessons that you wanted to put out to our viewers, listeners, and say this this will work for everybody. What, what are the, the keys that you'd say um, really everyone should be digging in and doing? Um, number one, set a goal. I mean, goals, how do you expect to go anywhere when you don't know where you're going? I mean, it's just so easy. And dream big. I was eight years old and I said, I want to be an Olympic skier. In a brown ski suit. In a brown ski suit. Uh, just last, uh, a year ago, two years ago, I said, I'm going to turn 50 and I'm into distance running now. For some reason, I used to make my living in two minutes of downhill. Yeah. Now I just finished my first 50 mile trail race. Awesome. W- what business do I have setting a goal of running a 50 miler? But I did it. And so, really set a goal and dream. And no goal is too big. You may not get there, but no dream is too big. So, set that. And at least that puts you in the right direction. Who to talk to, what questions to ask, what to eat. It's, it just points you in the right direction. And then, um, secondly, and this has to do with that, jump out of your comfort zone. It's so easy to sit on the couch as we were sitting on couches. Um, it's so easy just to take the easy way. But once you jump out of your comfort zone once, the second time's easier, the fourth time's even easier. And just scare yourself. That's where you want to live. It's so exciting not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. All, all the good stuff. What do they say? Uh, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone? Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and I work with kids a lot. They're easy, sure. But as we get older, we tend not to to take risks. And you don't have to jump out of an airplane, but it's really fun. Do it. Um, you don't have to do a fifty mile or do a five k. Walk around the block. Just get out. Set that goal, and then jump out of your skin and do it. And it's especially neat hearing you say that because when when you're somebody who doesn't do a whole lot, your comfort zone may be this big, so stepping outside of it seems easy. And yet when your comfort zone is this big, you know, you've been on national TV, international TV, you've uh, skied all over the world, just because your comfort zone is this big doesn't mean you shouldn't be outside of it, right? You still have to find ways to push yourself and grow. Exactly, and, and I equate it back to skiing. So fastest I've ever gone is 97 miles on an hour on skis. When I go 98, I get that feeling in my stomach. It's like, whoa, it's like almost tipping over in the chair. And skiing, I don't know how good a ski you are. Say your top speed is 38. Yeah, sure. When you go 39, you get that same feeling. Yeah. And so I, have a, I can connect with you. It's like, did you just go 38 miles an hour? I just went 98. That's the same in, in what we were just talking about. When I did my 50 miler, that pride and, and stomach and that feeling of accomplishment is the same if you get off your couch and walk around the, your, your house twice and do 10 burpees. Yeah. It's the same feeling. I, I don't know where we are timing-wise, but I yeah. want to ask you one more important thing yeah. is that, um, um, like you say, sort of 50-ish now, yeah. and uh, you know, you've had a full life, but the great thing is you've got a full life ahead of you too. Yeah. So um, you know, for somebody who's out there and saying, man, I hope I have that kind of success, it's really neat to hear a guy who's had all that success and is still saying, I'm going to try new things, 50 milers. And So what are you excited about? What's got, yeah, you getting out of bed these days? Well, I just finished that 50 miler, uh, 10 hours and 40 minutes. I was pretty psyched. I think I negative splitted, which was my goal. Um, I'm going to do another 50. I enjoyed it so much, but maybe I'll race it this time instead of survive it. 100 miler is out there lurking in my, in my brain. Um, other things, 
mostly physical, sure. I want to uh, do more hikes, more mountain biking. I'm a terrible mountain biker. I'd like to get better at that, which is weird. I don't know why I'm not better. Um, traveling, I mean, I got a list, uh, a million things, what my wife and I want to do coming up, and we're going to jump out. Very cool. Well, I, I, know, I know you're going to do it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, when I look at the success you've had so far, and thank you so much for sharing that with other people that they can uh, learn from that. So as Joe would say, you're awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you very Doug. much. Absolutely. You know, when you're in Pittsfield, you see valleys and you see peaks. And I thought it's it's really cool that he talks about um, what is success. How do you how do you measure it? And how do you know when you're at your peak? Or how do you know when you're at your valley? You need to start climbing back up. So I think, you know, when you do have success at such a young age, it's interesting to kind of monitor that to, like the topography of your life. A lot, a lot of athletes talk about a, a quarter life crisis where you know you're going to peak at your athleticism in your 20s usually, and if you get to a really really high level and that's how you define yourself, it's a long life ahead of you. And then a lot of athletes struggle with that. And Doug talked a bit about Altitude how sickness. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but Doug talked about how um, you know he'd gotten that success and now he was starting over again. And instead of looking backwards and defining himself as who he used to be, it was okay. What's my next challenge and how am I going to take this forward with that? Yeah, he was super humble, sort of talking about how he, he knew he had to start right at the bottom again and, and climb back up. I think when you've had that level of success, it must be really difficult to start anew. Mm-hmm. So both with the ultra running and then knowing that he wants to you know, share what he knew and all those years of experience with, with the kids that he's now teaching. Yeah, A lot of times people don't challenge themselves repeatedly because once you've made it in an area, you can kind of rest on your laurels, right? So it's, a, it's what we've talked about many times before, fear of failure. Yeah. Um, you know, because you already look good. You've already achieved things. That's how people view you. That's how you view yourself. To move out and to do something new and different and challenging, you put yourself at risk. Yeah. I mean, so there's great rewards, you know, individually, personally, physically, all those things. But, but you put your legacy, if you will, in, at risk. And so I was just thinking of before, you know, you take a look at uh, Michael Jordan, who was arguably the greatest basketball player ever, and at the tail end of his career or somewhere in the middle, decided to go try baseball. Yeah. And he wasn't like he was Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson, who had had a great already college career or semi-pro career. He was kind of just starting out and thought, I could do this. And he humbled himself riding the bus and did the AAA and all of that while being the greatest basketball player on the earth. Uh, you know, so it's, it's very similar. Yeah, for sure. And, and that was a neat thing uh, when I think back to Doug's comment about how important it is to fail. And he said that, um, you know, to gain confidence, you have to fail. And I thought it was really neat because, you know, we think about confidence being from your successes. And he said, when you fail and then pick yourself up and carry on and you realize that you can. And I think that those early failures gave him the confidence to follow a success as well because you've been at the bottom before, right? Yeah. And I think another thing we always talk about is success breeds success. And I don't think it always has to be like success as a win, but the success that you keep trying. And, and that's when I think it's really important when he tells kids, you know, he gives them attainable goals so they can start to get that brain patterning of that, that happiness that, oh, I've accomplished something. Now I do something a little more challenging, something that pushes me a little bit farther, gets me a little bit more out of my comfort zone. And so if you get them used to that and then those neurons are firing, you know, then they're, they're going to like that. They're going to keep on coming back to that. And the challenges can get more difficult. And it is okay if you don't accomplish your task because you realize that each experience makes you grow. And, and a great distinction that he made with um, when you're setting your own goals, they can be as big and as lofty. He said, there's no goal too big if it's for yourself because it gives you something to pursue and you're always working towards that. 
but with the work he does with kids, that um, it's very important to pick the, the proper goal for, for the individual kids. Some kids need to have just something just a little ahead of them so they can have that repeated success. Meet other kids, at, yeah. exactly, and other kids need that big challenge. But if you crush a kid with an unattainable goal, that's very different than setting it for yourself. Yeah, yeah you we, leave we've them frustrated. Got, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you just leave them frustrated, don't you, feeling that they're going to fail at everything. Yeah. But yeah. You know, a lot of adults set unrealistic goals for themselves as well. It's, it's sometimes difficult to draw a friend back from a goal that you know that they're not going to achieve. Well, but, but the, that's a great question around goals is what, what's the point of that goal, right? Because maybe that person knows they're not going to achieve that and they're just setting it as a target. No, that's the exact word I was going to use. In the military, we used a 50-meter target analogy. You know, when you set a project, you set a goal out there and say, I want to achieve this, whether it's your unit or win this battle or whatever. Okay, how do we get there? What are the intermediate steps? What are those 50-meter targets? And you start knocking them down, ting, 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 ting. Because you build upon success and you get momentum and you start, okay, I can hit that 100-meter, 300-meter, 1,000-meter target, boom. You know, yeah. But you've got you to hit the small ones first. Yeah, break it down so right. you're manageable steps. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and when you're thinking about like a friend's goals, for example, if, it, if it's that very concrete, this is what I'm going to do next step, I think you're right that that has to be something that, that is attainable. But you, know, you, you may have a friend who says, I'm going to be a huge star in Hollywood. You may not think that's viable, but it might be the thing that drives them to do all the great things that they end up doing in their life. So Somebody has to do speaking, it. Sure. Somebody's been speaking that Speaking of things that are unobtainable for quite a few people, um, when we were offline here, you were talking about how he attended the first death race? Yeah, so, so Doug, um, uh, actually right out in front of here, there's a pond out in front of the, uh, the Amy Lodge here. Very beautiful pond. And Doug, <laughs> Doug and I talked about our, our shared experiences coming through the Frozen culvert fish. across the street under the road and dealing with that freezing cold pond. And, uh, there are pennies in it. No? Well, Doug, Doug was actually, he was the original death racer. So 2007, um, pre-Spartan race, pre-anything, um, he showed up here for a trail run. So this guy who had been a world-class skier, mm. just starting to trail run, said, I'll go to Pittsfield for a trail run. That sounds really cool. Death race? That sounds showed fun. up, found out there's no trail running involved, 13 <laughs> hours of death racing. And Joe likes to talk about how he knew he was onto something when he had an Olympian at the side of the road looking crushed and humbled. Doug reminded me that he won that race. He wasn't entirely crushed. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, he's, uh, he's had success in a lot of different areas, and he, he, he is a Spartan. That's an incredible mindset as well, to go from an organized sport, which has got, you know, training programs and coaching, to something like the death race, organized which is chaos. totally so, unknown. So it just occurred to me, too, our, our, our fifth character behind the camera there, Marion, she was telling me earlier about when she saw Doug at that, and the, the actual visible anger on his face <laughs> as he crossed arms went... This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and, you know, just getting ready to turn and leave and then saying, but there's a competition and I'm a competitor. And so I, I think that's, that's what he was able to transfer was that competitive spirit. And, and he made it into an organized event, right? He took a very disorganized event and he broke it down into his 50-meter goal, his 100-meter goal, his 150. And I think that's how he got through it. So uh, if you're a competitive spirit, come check out more at SpartanUpPodcast.com. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. We hope you enjoy the episode. To find more show notes, audio, and video, please visit us at SpartanUpPodcast.com. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.